What an incredible video because it was an incredible service. A little unique, a little different being in the parking lot, but it was an incredible time to be together with you guys. Um, and we're getting ready to do it again. It's going to be June 14th. It's going to be our official welcome back, but we're going to be celebrating our graduates. That's right. Our high school graduates, I've got one, as well as college graduates, and it's a great outreach. So if you know someone that has not been able to have their graduation experience, let them come and be a part June 14th, and we're going to be celebrating the newness of life, not just for our high school grads, but for our church life as well, as we're re-engaging after the COVID experience and even through the COVID experience of what God is doing, because we believe he's doing great things. So make sure you join us June 14th, and we're going to have another celebration. The theme of that day is going to be the newness of life, and we're going to be celebrating our graduates. But today, we're going to be continuing our studies. You can see a little bit different. I'm sitting down. Now, I don't know if you know this, but uh, when the Jewish leaders, the uh, Jewish priests would go to preach or go to teach, the rabbis, the teachers, they would actually sit down. And if you remember Jesus, the rabbi, when he went up on the Sermon of the Mount, the Bible says he sat down and his disciples came to him to hear him. They knew by the sitting that Jesus was going to speak because that was the tradition of the day. And so today, a little bit more in story form, I'm sitting down like maybe the rabbis of old, the teachers of old, to be able to engage with the word of God. And I'm in your living room and you're in mine, let's say. Let's have a conversation about the word of God together. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, I'm just so thankful for the great grace of God and so thankful, Lord, for your word. And as we dig into scripture, I pray that your word would minister powerfully to us. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking note, we're continuing our series, The Heart of the Savior is Rooted and Grounded in Kindness. That's the next word up on our agenda. The heart of our Savior is rooted and grounded in kindness. We're going to be in a couple areas of Scripture. Ruth chapter 1, Ruth chapter 1, Titus chapter 3, and Micah chapter 6. Once again, Ruth chapter 1, you want to keep your Bible there. That's going to kind of be a mainstay. But Micah 6 and Titus 3 are going to be the other areas of Scripture that we're going to find ourselves. Well, let's begin. Open up Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to be in the New King James Version today. Let's take a look at verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, now keep that in mind, that there was a famine in the land. In other words, this story happens in the middle of the book of Judges. A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. Now that's not the land of Israel. That's a different country in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahalan and Chilion, Epaphrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now stop there if you would for a moment. I asked you to, I highlighted one word, judges. And I told you that this story is taken right in the center of the book before us, Judges. 
And right in the middle of that book, we see this story begin to emerge. We call it the actual book of Ruth. Now, originally, Judge Ruth was a part of Judges, but our, our uh, 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 compilers of the Bible separated it out from Judges. And now we've got this incredible story, this book of love, this book of passion, this book of hope called the book of Ruth. Now, if you know anything about the Judges and the period of the Judges, well, you can find it in the last verse. And if you just look over at Judges chapter 21, verse 25, in those days, there's no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. People were doing what they felt was right. There was no moral compass. There was no definite right and wrong. And if you read the book of Judges, it will make its pinnacle in Judges chapter 19 as to what happens when people do what was right in their own eyes when there is no moral compass. Now, I'm not going to go into that story because, well, this weekend we've got kids in the congregation and you've got kids listening in at home. But I'd encourage you adults, go ahead and dig into Judges chapter 9. You'll see some of the darkest days in Israel, especially when there is no moral compass. Now, if you listen to the nightly news, or if you watch any late night show, well, there's nothing but crudeness. There's nothing but sadness. There's nothing but terror. There's nothing but, well, when you live in a world where there's no moral compass and everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, well, even late night shows All they do is they use people's fallacies or they use people's problems or they poke fun at anyone and everyone that they possibly can to get other people to laugh. It's the most unkind experience in the world, but yet people in our day and age think that being unkind is actually funny. Yep, we are living in the days of the judges. Well, it was during those days that God would get the attention of the people of Israel through disease, pestilence, famine, plague, or war, but especially most prevalently through disease. Sound familiar? Well, let's make it a little bit more practical because the writer of the book of Ruth does for us and hones in on one particular family. So let me paint the picture. It's the first Elimelech. His name means, oh, God is my king. Now just imagine growing up in Bethlehem, this called the house of bread. Now that's like saying I'm going to bring home the dough because bread was everything. It was the picture of sustenance. It was this picture of prosperity. And Bethlehem was a happening town. It was the place of prosperity. It was called the house of bread. Now we know the bread of life is going to be born in Bethlehem to fulfill its name scripturally, but it was given its name because of its prosperity, because of its success. And Elimelech's parents, oh, growing up in this community, they name him God is my king, going to church every Sunday. They were just worshipers of God. And Naomi, her parents, oh, living in the limelight of the history of Bethlehem in the midst of the judges, oh, they named her Naomi, which means pleasant. But then all of a sudden, at the house of bread, something happens. Now let's back up for just a minute. House of Bread, it sounds like Elisa Viejo. 
It sounds like Laguna Niguel. It sounds like Dana Point. Oh, it was the place of luxury. It was the place of leisure. It was the place of success. It was the suburban town to Jerusalem. In fact, you had big business in Jerusalem and you came out to Bethlehem to live. Sound familiar? But then all of a sudden, famine hits. And Bethlehem, it changes. It literally changes overnight. So much so that this family, well, they change. Now it should probably sound a little bit more familiar to us that live in Dana Point or Laguna Niguel or Aliso Viejo. You see, COVID hit. But this family, I pray so unlike your family, they decided to stray from the land of promise. They decided to stray from the land of protection. They chose to leave the country of Israel, the place of promise, and they chose to go to the place of compromise. It was the country of Moab. Now, if you know how Moab started, I would encourage you to discover there in the book of Genesis, it was, well, started by Lot and his daughters. You can read that story in the book of Genesis, but it was started as the place of compromise and it truly remained to be the place of compromise. And it was there that this family moved to, this family that was filled with pleasantry, this family that seemed to have everything, but lost everything, straying from the promise, straying from the protection. And there they would be in Moab and all of their pleasantries would turn to problems. But it was there in their compromise that they would come in contact with the kindness of God. Now I want you to keep that in mind as you read with me verse 4. Now they took wives, speaking of the children of Elimelech and Naomi, they took wives of the women of Moab. There's their compromise. They were not supposed to marry outside. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. Now, Ruth, she married Melon, and we discover that in in, uh, Ruth chapter 4, verse 10. And they dwelt there about 10 years, so they had a 10-year marriage. But then both Melon, who Ruth was married to, and Chilion also died. So the women survived her two sons and her husband. Wow, Naomi. Everything changes for you. In fact, Naomi would change her name tomorrow, which means bitter, because she thought to herself, God has taken everything from me. But it was there in the land of Moab that they would run into the kindness of God. And her name? We just discovered it. Her name is Ruth. Now, if you don't know, Ruth's name actually means friendly. And I have found that friendly people are very, very kind. In fact, we just brought a friendly person on staff. I call him Wolfie, Bob Wolfsberger. He's our pastoral care family guy. And let me tell you something. If you've never met Wolfie, he's an incredible grandparent, an incredible parent, but he's an incredible friend. And what makes him such an incredible friend is he's so incredibly kind. And if you don't think you'll like him, trust me, spend five minutes with him. You are going to fall in love with him. Now, that's what I love about a friendly person is that they're kind. And right in the midst of their compromise, they run into Ruth, 
they run into the kindness of God. Because the kindness of God is often displayed through a person. Let me explain. I ask you, turn in your Bible to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. I want to read something for you. Titus chapter 3. We'll see here um, something really true about how kindness is expressed through people. Titus chapter 3. Would you take a look at verse 3? For we ourselves, who were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. We as well were living in the land of Moab. But look at verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Stop there if you would for a moment. But when the kindness of God, dot, 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 appeared. Well, we know who the kindness of God is. He was displayed through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the best example of the kindness of God, that when we were living in the land of Moab, in the land of compromise, when we were haters of God and haters of people, when we were disobedient, when we were deceived, God shows up with his kindness in Jesus and he lived the life that none of us could live. And he died the death that God did not want and the price, paid the price of the price that God did not want us to pay. And he rose again, conquering death so that he could save us, so that he could offer life. That's the good news of the gospel. And Jesus appeared and he appeared to us. And I know that he appeared to me because kindness, kindness is best expressed in an action. And I want you to hear what John wrote to the church. It's 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to read it for you. Listen to kindness expressed through Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3 verse 16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. There it is. It's an action and an attitude of love. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In other words, because God was so kind, we should be so kind. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, verse 18, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, kindness is an action or an attitude of love. Best expressed by Jesus, God asks us to express this kinds of kindness. Because let me tell you, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Don't, don't, don't be uh, 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 bothered by the kindness of God. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And there is Ruth, the person of kindness, in the midst of their compromise, she displays the wonderful kindness of God. Let me say, Naomi makes a decision. I've heard, well, Bethlehem's got bread again. And I'm going back, girls. And I'm not asking you to go with me. I want you to go home, Naomi tells the girls. Well, Orpah, she makes a decision. Okay, I'm going to go home. But Ruth, no. She tells Naomi something. And she says to in Romans in Ruth chapter 1, if you go back there with me, verse 16, she says, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you, verse 16. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. 
Wherever you lodge or sleep, I'm going to sleep or lodge. Your people are going to be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I'm going to die and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Naomi, I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. That's a pretty incredibly kind thing to do, Ruth. You're young. You can leave. She's giving you permission. But you're telling Naomi, I'm not letting you make this journey on your own. You're old. I'm with you. And no matter where you go, I'm going to be with you. What an incredibly kind person. But Naomi is so jaded by her experience. I want you to hear what Naomi says when she goes back to Israel in uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. She says to the people who are celebrating a return, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Now, I'm Ruth, right? Now, I'm not Ruth, but let me be Ruth for a minute. And I'm sitting right next to Naomi as she's telling her friends this. Don't call me Naomi. I'm not pleasant anymore. I'm bitter. So call me Mara, okay? And I left full and I came back empty. Now, I'm Ruth and I'm sitting here listening to this. I'd kind of be like, hello, Um, you didn't exactly come back empty. I'm right here listening to you tell your friends this. I'm standing or I'm sitting right here. I would probably be offended, but Ruth wasn't. She's not offended, and she doesn't even need Naomi's affirmation. You see, the truth of her kindness is that it stemmed from her heart. I want you to write that down. Kindness stems from the heart. Remember, for just a minute, uh, uh, Ruth's actions. Naomi, I'm not leaving you. I don't care what you say, what you tell me to do, I'm with you. And then she gets to Israel. She makes this long journey. And Ruth tells her friends, I came back empty. But Ruth, she doesn't care what Naomi's saying, because Ruth is kind. So she learns the Hebrew culture so much so that she knows that Naomi has a kinsman redeemer, and his name is Boaz. And she learned all about kinsman redeemers. And so she decides, hey, Naomi, Naomi, we need some food. I'm going to go work for you in Boaz's field. So she goes. She works hard. She works hard all day. She works hard all night to take care of Naomi, despite the way that Naomi feels that she's Mara and that she's bitter and that she came back empty. She works so hard that Boaz recognizes her. And Boaz hears her story and invites her for dinner. But Ruth, she doesn't eat all of her food. No, she eats and then she packs a doggy bag, but not for a doggy. She packs a Naomi bag and she brings it home for Naomi, the bitter woman, to have something to eat. Not only that, she does whatever Naomi asks her to do. Naomi, who's bitter, Naomi, who came back empty because kindness stems from the heart. You see, let me tell you why. And let me explain why the word loving kindness is the word that the King James Version uses for the word kindness whenever kindness is connected to God. And I'm going to ask you, turn with me, uh, listen to me as I read Jeremiah 
Jeremiah chapter 9. Now, you don't need to turn there. It's going to be on your screen. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. You can hear it for yourself. But let him who glories, glories in this, that he understands and knows me. So I want you to hear what God is saying. Hey, I don't want you to be prideful in anything, but I want you to glory in something. I want you to glory in the fact that you know me. Now, remember what Jesus told the church in Revelation chapter 2. Hey, I know you're busy about a lot of things, but you forgot your first love. I want you to be in relationship with me. And that's what God's saying here. Same thing. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says this. I want you to glory in one thing, that you're in an intimate relationship with me. And then God describes himself, that I'm the Lord, exercising loving kindness judgment, righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. I want you to know something about me. I love to show loving kindness. I delight in it. It defines who I am because I am love. First John chapter four, God is love. And love, love is kind. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse four, love is patient and love is kind. See, kindness stems from who God is. And it doesn't depend on our response nor our reaction. Let me explain it like this. You see, every Monday I clean my house. And Andre's working now. And so um, she doesn't have the opportunity to keep up with the house as much as she was able to. So Mondays we agreed that if she went back to work, as we would be able, I would clean the house on Mondays. Well, it's amazing. I'll clean the kitchen. I'll clean the bathrooms, mop the floor. When my kids come home, they'll forget to take off their shoes and just trample their dirt right into the house. My dog will go outside and then come right back on inside. And I'll just look at the floor that I just finished. And then they'll take a snack and put their dishes in the sink that I just cleaned. And now the kitchen's got some crumbs on it of the counter that I just wiped. And the bathroom that I spent so much time in, well, now it doesn't, well, look as good as what it did. And all of a sudden I can sense something in me going, wait a second, do you guys know all that I did? And I've got to make a decision. Am I going to get frustrated? Well, let me be honest. Sometimes I do. Can't you guys see what I did? Let me tell you what's going to happen the following Monday. I'm going to mop that floor. I'm going to clean those dishes. I'm going to wipe that counter. And my kids are going to come in and I'm going to do it again on the following Monday because I love my kids. And my kindness towards them doesn't depend on what they do, their response of, oh, dad, thank you so much for cleaning. Thank you so much for folding. Thank you so... No, it doesn't depend on their response. It doesn't depend on their reaction. I actually delight in doing it because I want to be like the Lord. I want to be kind. It doesn't depend on their response or their reaction. So Ruth, she's not impacted by what Naomi said. I came back empty. Because her kindness stemmed from her heart. But I'll tell you something about kindness. I want you to write it down. Ruth's continual acts of kindness actually made an impact on Naomi. Go back with me to Ruth. Ruth chapter 2. Write it down. Continual acts of kindness has impact. It's Ruth chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 20. I'll set the scene for you. 
uh, Ruth has been gleaning the fields in Boaz's fields and she comes home with some food and she comes home with some grain and says, I've been gleaning fields in the kinsman redeemer in Boaz's field. So verse 20 of chapter 2, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be, the, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the, uh, and the dead. And Naomi said to her, the man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, he also said to me, you shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Do you hear what's happening in this bitter woman? Do you hear what's happening in the woman that came back empty? You see, she may look still a little bitter to you, but Ruth knows something. She sees a glimmer. You see, through kindness, her bitterness, well, the kindness is actually making her better. And you may not see it all of a sudden, all at once, but Naomi's got a little glimmer of hope. <gasps> That's our kinsman redeemer. Maybe God is doing something. Maybe God is showing kindness. Ruth's kindness is giving Naomi a glimpse of hope. You see, kindness and continual acts of kindness, it has some hope attached to it when we continue to act kindly. But let me tell you what else kindness does. Kindness actually spurs other people to be kind. Uh, if we go back to Ruth chapter 2. Look at Boaz now. Not only Naomi, but look at Boaz in Ruth chapter 2, verse 11. Boaz answered and said to her, It's been fully reported to me all that you have done to, uh, for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you've left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people who you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel under those whose wings, excuse me, whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you've comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I'm not like one of your, mo your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at the mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat down beside the reapers and passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. So Boaz commanded the reapers, let her reap. That's the next verse. Gang, let me tell you something. Boaz saw her kindness and he knew, let the Lord repay you. He was the agent to repay. He was going to be kind in like manner because kindness has an impact. And the impact of kindness, well, it spurs other people to be kind. Now, let me remind you of something. Kindness is the acts and attitude of love toward others. Now, Jesus describes this, and I'm going to read something for you. It's in Matthew's gospel. It's a sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to disciples. And in Matthew's gospel, chapter five, listen to what he says. Give to him who asks you, and, dis, and from him who wants to borrow from you, don't turn away. Now remember, kindness is acts and attitude of love toward others. Jesus actually describes it. And he gives a practical example and he says, listen, an act of kindness is this. If someone needs something, give it to them and don't expect anything in return. He goes on to say in verse 43, even to your enemy, love your enemy. And I want you to have acts of kindness to your enemy. 
Won't you pray for them, bless them, and do good to them? What value is it if you say hi to someone who says hi back to you? Or what value is it to do something for someone that you know they're going to do something for you? He says, no way. I want you to be like my father. I want you to be perfect, just like him. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to show acts of kindness even towards your enemy. Well, Jesus describes it very practically. Paul actually directs it. In Colossians chapter 3, he tells the church in Colossae, put on kindness, right there in verse 12 of chapter 3. And I love our church because in the midst of the COVID chaos, even as we see the headlines today, people getting angry, people doing things that are absolutely filled with injustice and inequity. And then the anger is the result. It's the COVID chaos. Our church, you are letting your light so shine with COVID chaos. So I asked the staff, let me know some random acts of kindness that people are doing. Well, remember the signs posted in the yard? Well, there's someone in our church. She has posted that sign and she's been praying so fervently for our neighbors. So much so, one of the neighbors know her to be a person of prayer. Their dog was sick and they brought their dog to the house so that she could pray for the dog. Andre and I were walking through the neighborhood, praying for our neighborhood with our son. Finally, we've had the opportunity to be able to share with a couple that's in our neighborhood. Our young adults, our young adults of COVID kindness, they're helping moms who have all of a sudden become stay, uh, all of a sudden become stay-at-home homeschool moms. Well, they're tutoring their kids in order to help them out. There's a young lady in our youth ministry. She's making chocolate chip cookies with little verses and putting verses on the cookies and delivering to neighbors. There's another guy who lives in my neighborhood. He goes to our youth ministry and he's as well been praying for his neighborhood and giving Bible verses to people in his neighborhood. Another guy in the youth ministry, he's helping another church with their sounds so that they could go virtual and be able to minister to their body. We've got teachers in our body who are doing parades through the neighborhoods just to let the kids know we care about you. And we're in a motor motor car parade to be able to let you know, beeping the horn, I actually saw one in my own neighborhood because this is the COVID kindness. Gang, this is you. This is what you're doing. One of our elders found out that uh, someone that they didn't even know graduated law school and they set up a meeting with them just to help them, just to get them on the way and to be able to talk about Jesus. Gang, this is the COVID kindness happening because you've chosen to follow the direction of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to put on kindness. Now, gang, there's a great benefit to kindness. It's our last point. Kindness, it brings personal joy and fulfillment. We're going to go back to Ruth for just a minute. And let me tell you about Ruth. She lost her first husband. He died 10 years into marriage. They were newlyweds without kids. She lost her homeland. She lost her family. It's not like you flew back home to Moab. It was way too far and way too expensive. So she lost her family, mom and dad. She lost her home. 
She goes to a new land of a language she has to learn, of a history of how she has learned, as to people she has to learn. And she works hard all day to take care of a bitter mother-in-law. Now, I don't know if you've got a bitter mother-in-law. Thankfully, I don't. I've got a mother-in-law who watches me every Sunday and sends me an encouraging message every single Sunday without fail. Sometimes with a picture of where they've chosen to watch in Boca Raton, Florida. Gang, let me tell you something. Some of you, that may not be your story. You may have a Ruth's mother-in-law, bitter, a bitter mother-in-law. And she chose not to let any of this impact her because her kindness stemmed from her heart. She chose kindness. She chose kindness. Now, you know the end of Ruth's story, but I'm going to read it for you just to remind you. It's Ruth chapter 4. Listen to verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth. He married her. And she became his wife. And when she went into her, the Lord gave her conception. She bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you. She showed kindness to you. And I added that. Who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Church. There's the end result. You see, kindness brings personal joy and fulfillment because personal joy and fulfillment is always birthed from the person of kindness to the person of kindness. Let me read you a verse. And I'm going to read it to you in the ESV. It's Proverbs 21, 21. Now, this is the wisest advice I can give you through this whole message. And it comes straight from the Bible. Proverbs 21, 21, I'm reading it, the ESV. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Whoever pursues kindness is going to find honor. Find the right thing to do. Going to find life. Now, let me define for you that word honor, if I could. Splendor, glory. So let me put this in Chetlow English. Let me put it in a little bit of modern English for you. Now, I'm not a translator of the Bible, but I believe in other words, what the wisest thing you could get out of this message is this. Your best life in the midst of COVID chaos, your best life is found in being kind. This is why Jesus would repeat the instruction of Hosea to the Pharisees. See, Hosea would say this. God, he said, I desire mercy. And this word mercy in Hebrew is kindness. I desire kindness and not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. It's Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. And Jesus would tell the Pharisees, he would tell them this. Hey, go and learn what this means. I desire kindness, not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And then later in Matthew chapter 12, after he'd already said it in Matthew chapter 9, he said, you didn't learn what it meant. I desire mercy, kindness, and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God more than burnt offering. I desire that you know me. I want you to be in this intimate relationship with me because if you would be, you'd understand I'm kind. You see, like Ruth, the Pharisees were to represent God. But unlike Ruth, they were mean. 
They threw stones at lepers that were walking beside them in the rock to tell, walking beside them in the market to tell them, don't come near me. They got mad at Jesus for healing someone on the Sabbath. They were missing their best life and Jesus knew it. That's why he says to them, go and learn what this means. But they chose the worst life. They chose to be mean and they chose to be miserable. But this would not be the first time that God would speak to his people Israel, neither to the Pharisees nor through the prophet Hosea. It would also be the prophet Micah. And I want you to turn your Bible with me to Micah. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. This is where we're going to close up, gang. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Listen to what God says. He has shown you, O man, what's good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now this word, once again, if you're reading the ESV, you'll see to love kindness. Kindness, it's the same word. But go back with me if you would. He's shown you, O man. In other words, what God tells them through the prophet Micah, I've shown you what kindness is because you've been mean. Like you, he says to him, you, you've taken people's clothes. You, you, you don't even act justly. You're inequitable. You're not fair. You've been using ministry to make money, but yet I've shown you kindness. I've shown you by redeeming you, by saving you. But you instead, you've been mean. And what he says to them, listen, I've shown you what it means to be good. And now I'm requiring of you because I'm kind. I want you to be kind as well. That's why the New Testament writers implore us, be kind one to another. Love is kind. Put on kindness several times throughout the course of the New Testament. They display in written form the illustration of Jesus's life. Be kind one to, not one to another. Because kindness to others, it's only our response of the kindness of our Savior to us. To the one who's fallen, he says, don't beat him up. Pick him up. It's Galatians chapter 6. Be kind to him. To the one who's in the world, don't be the moral police and tell them how wrong they are. It's the kindness of God that leads them to repentance. To everyone, God's been kind to us. And he knows that kindness is our best life. Kindness is when we're going to be filled with joy. Kindness is when we're going to feel fulfilled. In fact, kindness, not knowledge, is actually the evidence of our maturity. Gang, this church has existed for over 30 years. And I want you to hear what Peter wrote towards the end of his life. Second Peter asks you to turn there, chapter 1, verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. In other words, it's time to grow up. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. Here's what he says. I want you to grow in knowledge. But let me tell you where I really want you to grow to. I want your knowledge to look like kindness. And after 30 years of existence here at Coast Hills, do we look kind? 
Because in our COVID chaos, people are to run right into us like the family ran right into Ruth. We're to be figures of hope in darkness. We're to be the representatives of God's kindness. And we're to lead people to God's goodness by being the best expression of the gospel, God's, God's kindness to everyone. That's my prayer for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness that led me to grace. And thank you for your kindness that even when I mess up, you love me so much that you're still kind. And I pray, Lord, that Coast Hills Church would be known for their kindness. Even in the midst of COVID chaos, grant us the grace to allow the kindness of God, like the great example of Jesus and like Ruth, to be kind to a bitter world. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.